Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and welcome to 2021. 2021 is feeling a little bit like 2020 so far. <laughs> so hopefully by the end of this year, we will all be celebrating as we are. Maybe we'll just have a massive party actually outside the Rockstar office because we'll all be able to hang out together and we'll just invite everybody here and we'll have a big old party. Maybe we'll do that. So who knows what the end of this year will look like. But in the meantime, through this podcast, we are going to try to bring you everything that we are looking at ourselves around real estate, real estate investing, the economy, interest rates, debt, what's going on with the global monetary system, personal development, things uh, that we like looking at around gold and silver, and of course, Bitcoin. So all of this stuff we'll be talking about this year. We have some great podcasts this month already lined up. So hopefully we're bringing a lot of good information to you. Although we cannot see each other right now, we really wish you the best for 2021. And with that, let's get started with this episode. It's with Robert Bradrick, a good friend of mine that we met at NetSuite. So it feels like a couple lifetimes ago at this point, but we've stayed in touch. Absolutely great guy. He was the goalie on the men's hockey league that we played in. And we start into the conversation reminding him about my slap shot, which you'll hear him verify how, how everything you need to know about my slap shot. I don't know. Sorry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't even have talked about this, but I just couldn't resist. Um, absolutely great guy. He actually left NetSuite to get into the commercial real estate space. That's his family's business here in Burlington, Ontario. They own a bunch of commercial real estate. And the reason that I found it fascinating to talk to him is we're finally getting the inside information on the commercial real estate game from somebody who is managing commercial real estate, who is dealing with commercial real estate. And this isn't just the headlines that we're seeing on the financial post or Globe and Mail. This is with somebody seeing things on the streets. So very grateful that Robert decided to come in and share this information with us. If you're driving down the QEW, you're passing by their properties. This is in the Burlington area. And if you are listening to this and you are thinking about getting into some real estate investing yourself, you can get the free 90-minute introductory training class that Nick and I put on about once a month. You can register for that at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. It's about a 90-minute class or so where we go through all the different real estate investing strategies that we're using with investors in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area. And at the end, we stick around and answer all your questions. So if there's anything on your mind about real estate, real estate investing, interest rates, whatever you might be thinking, you can ask it at that class as well. Both of us are there doing that class. We do it about once a month and you can register for the next one at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's it with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are, we are live. We are live with Robert Bradrick. And Robert Bradrick was just saying how professional of a, of a podcast that we run. I'm joking. You weren't saying how professional you weren't. You were saying we're super casual on this thing. Dude, we are pumped to have you here. I am excited to be here as well. This is a super cool experience. I've known you guys for a while. I've been dying to get on the show. So thanks for having me. You walked in with a hockey jersey on. I no regular hockey jersey. No. Yeah, I'm so happy because we're going to get into commercial real because there's important stuff to talk about, the commercial real estate, the economy and all that stuff. And, and you can shed some insight. But no, Nick, we're not talking about your slap shot. No, Nick, no, 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 Nick. Sorry. We just have to start at the hot, number one priority. Rob Bradrick. 
was the goalie on our Maulers hockey team men's starting team. goalie. We we won no, but we won different division. We won a couple times together. I think we won a Kwage. We one of the one of the years we won. I think we got like a sweater or something cheesy. Anyway, this was like true North Hockey League towels. We were towels. Left, true. We had the true heart, uh, North Hockey ensemble T-shirt towel and i think a, a pair of pants or something that came along with it as well yeah we were definitely a middle of the road men's league team but you were the goalie and during those areas just so everybody's aware here during that time i had i didn't grow up playing hockey neither did nick i started playing hockey at oracle in the morning and i, I was wobbling i started around. playing hockey on this hockey team yeah yeah nick started playing on this hockey team and both nick and i can't skate very well at all but uh, and actually, one guy who used to play hockey said, "You are the fastest wobbly skater I've ever seen." And every time you go into the corners, I get scared that you're just going to wipe out and smash into the boards. But uh, but then my slap shot somehow was just this remarkably heavy slap shot. And when I would wind up right, way out at the blue line, I would see Robert Bradrick shudder in fear, and not so much of the power of my slap shot, but also the accuracy of it, because you didn't want it to ding off the top corner and into the net and just kind of look foolish standing in net. So I can appreciate how you must have felt during those times. And now I, I've never asked you, but from your perspective, when I would wind up, how did you feel? Was it a little scary? I was scared, but as long as I was standing in the net, I was safe. <laughs> Are you trying to say I didn't hit the net? I, I, the sound of that, of that puck hitting the boards is frightening. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> Listen, we have different recollections. So the stats, I'm sure, are still online. We're going to go see my goal-scoring proficiency. <laughs> there is, on the, on, I think the stats are still online. We can go dig up these stats because maybe in the warm-up, I was hitting the boards out of my respect for you because I didn't want to harm our, our top-class goalie here. So that's that's the kind of way I remember it. And Nick, I was good at smashing things, too. I was very good at smashing into the boards. Yes. That's you what I was very good. good at. Also, if there was two guys in the boards, just like a bowling ball coming in and smashing both of them over, they would go flying and you would take the puck away. Now my favorite Nick Karadza thing is uh, two guys in front of the net, mad scramble for the puck, and Nick doesn't even try to stop. He hits both guys and then bangs home the rebound. <laughs> That's my favorite. They, they Non-contact. Yeah, and they were probably on our team. <laughs> well, hey, Jernick's got to get out of the way. Oh, my God. I remember one time when Dennis got up, somebody, it was actually before you were playing as a goalie for us, it was Dennis's cousin was playing a net for us, and some guy goes by and slashes him in the middle of a play, and Dennis is like the most calm, nicest guy ever. Until and, he gets upset. Yeah, and he someone slashed his cousin <laughs> like that. And I saw during the face-off that he started getting all googly-eyed. And when that guy dropped the puck, he just turned to this guy. I've never seen... Dennis is a big, strong guy. He picked the guy up off the off the ice. I To this day, I don't know if that's even possible or if my memory is fooling me. And slammed him down. <laughs> he was like, oh my God, dude, that's going to teach you for messing around with his cousin. Anyway, those were good years. They were... That's But that was a like a why you play... Uh, men's sports a bunch of guys get along great always had time for each other afterwards and had fun on the ice but everything until that when that puck dropped there was absolutely nothing serious going on until it was time to play and all the rules of sport where you're supposed to get mentally in the game and all that stuff went out the window and somehow we still won Somehow we still won. I, on occasion. I, I, on occasion. I, I, yeah, and no, we, a, we won often with, with one guy on the bench somehow. Yeah, six, seven. We usually yeah. played better if there was only yeah. one or two guys yeah, on the yeah, bench. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you'll laugh. So we because the DNA, because you guys both came to play soccer. And then so we have our, our soccer team. And the DNA of that soccer team is still lots of Maulers players. And it's identical. Five, we had to make rules of sobriety before games and the, what time you arrive. And all of a sudden, when we put those rules in place, we started winning again. But, but the same thing. Soon as it's time to play, let's go. 
Yeah, good times, man. Holy smokes. Yeah, I was and, and, uh, I missed that. So before days. we get to the, yeah, me too. Me too. For, before we get to the commercial real estate stuff, then you were at NetSuite. We were at NetSuite together, working together. That's basic, That's where we met originally? Yes. So we met at NetSuite. Why the decision to leave NetSuite and go work? And I guess if you describe your family's business, what was involved in that decision? Um, there's a few things. Uh, so... For the first few years of my son's life, I was doing the uh, enterprise gig, which uh, means that I was selling to NetSuite's largest customers. And as a result of that, uh, there's no time zones, you're traveling all over the place. And so um, my wife stayed home and first child, I was just really worried about providing. So uh, I was on a plane all the time doing whatever I could, getting as much commission as I could. And then um, after that, I just started thinking more about hey, my son is at a great age right now and there's three years of regret there and uh, my daughter's getting a little bit older as well. So I thought, here's an opportunity um, to A, take over the family business and B, be more of a family person, like being at the house. Um, and I've used that theme of family all the way through business and it's been, uh, we've acquired a, we acquired a fitness club that has that same mentality and we've actually used that all the way through. But the main reason why I left NetSuite was um, to be home to be around my family. Dude, you had a big role at NetSuite. That's a pretty big decision, man. So I can imagine what was going through your head or what people were feeding back to you when you were announcing that you were making that decision. So good on you, man. I just heard you acquire a fitness club and I just need to know more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all I hear. Well, yeah, <laughs> that, that would be definitely an interesting conversation. It's because I, I left NetSuite and then I had a major eye infection um, that I almost lost vision. I, for, uh, for 30 days, I battled uh, with this um, what's called the corneal ulcer in my left eye and uh, it leaves a scar on your eye for, and if it's in a certain spot they may not be able to correct your vision I was lucky enough to get it to come back but I had to put an antibiotic in my eye uh, every 30 minutes for four days straight so I didn't sleep for four days straight there's an alarm on the on your iPhone that I can't hear because it triggers the memory of the pain but it was an antibiotic that I kept in the fridge that was designed to burn the skin on, around your eye on purpose. I did that for, um, I think it was, I think it was almost uh, 30 days. So, how, Sorry, how do you pick that? How did you get that? I had a scratch on my, uh, on my cornea and then I was out hiking and I guess a bacteria got in and, uh, yeah, then, you know, I just, I went from pain, pain, pain to, I can't see. And then I went to the emergency and as soon as the emergency person at uh, Oakville Trafalgar said, Sami said, you need to go now, go see this person. And when there's a lineup, budge your way to the front of the line. Like this is an emergency. And when they're talking about your vision, it's terrifying. So that's Wait, how, how long, sorry. How long ago was this? Uh, five years ago. Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't think I knew about I, this. Not too many people did. I, I, it was something that, and then I went right to work after that. So I left NetSuite being a, a I guess I was a director of, um, Solution consultant across North America. I like how you guess what you were. I actually <laughs> looked up on your LinkedIn profile. I went to your link. I'm like, what was this guy doing when yeah. he left NetSuite? Yeah. So yeah, I managed the the team uh, of uh, consultants for the uh, existing customer base across North America. I had to change that team from a small team of two people to I think it was 45 when I was done. 
So you're working with Steve then? I worked hand in hand with Steve. Yeah. Steve was my, uh, my, my, I guess my other boss, if you could say that. There was a while at NetSuite. So Nick, Nick knows this. First of all, Nick, I don't know if you know this. Nick got an offer to work at NetSuite. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he got an offer from Mark, uh, got, got him an offer. And then he called, uh, Nick called me and said, hey, Tom, do I take this offer? Or a buddy of mine is doing this satellite stuff. I don't know if you remember the direct TV days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like, I'm, I, you know, there's just so much demand for this stuff and we're setting up shops in all these different flea markets around the GTA and we're doing inventory and making sales and customer service and doing all this stuff. And, I, and we had a brief discussion. I, the way I remember, I don't know if this is accurate, but the way I remember it was like, ah, you can get one of these corporate software gigs anytime. You're going to learn so much doing that stuff. Just go do that. And Nick didn't take the offer. And I remember it didn't really sit too well. It was like, holy smokes, Nick's rejecting an offer well, yeah. from NetSuite, which yeah. basically defines our lives, right? Nick got this beautiful offer, software company that's exploding. Here you go, come work with us. And he's like, no, thank you. I'm going to go do this other thing. In the flea markets around Toronto. In the flea markets. <laughs> yeah. And online. When it was like hard to actually do stuff online, you know, there was no cookie cutter. Like, here's how you put up a website. You actually had to hire like a, a programmer yeah, yeah. to put up a website. But there was an ear. But one of the VPs called me. I remember that th th that time. I remember I was driving down Winston Churchill, and I was delaying the decision because I was like, I don't know what to do here. So I was delaying the decision, and one of the VPs called me, and he said, he's like, Hey, man, like, what are you gonna do? Like, you know, are you gonna shit or get off the pot? That's what he said. That was the first time I ever heard that. Like, it was so direct. I was like, oh. and then I, th I think that made the decision. Like, because he was so kind of in your face about it. I'm like, yeah. Forget it. I'm off the pot. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> he didn't know that anyone who asks Nick to do something, like if, if someone tries to push Nick in one way, he's automatically going to go the other. It's in both of our, our natures. We do it differently, but both of us are like, oh, you're telling me to go that way? Screw you. I'm going this way. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked for you. But there Follow was, your arrow. There was a, there's a time when, when uh, Rob was at uh, NetSuite and Steve was at NetSuite and Adrian was at NetSuite and Dennis was at NetSuite and I was at NetSuite and it was a little bit like inside NetSuite there was this talk of how it was like this little Croatian cabal that was forming that if you didn't know one of these guys you weren't gonna not that you weren't gonna get anything done that's incorrect but it was just a bunch of us in pretty uh, pretty good positions in there and we were able to get a lot done it was good times man so, so you let you you decide to leave NetSuite. Talk to us about then your family. Like, what's your family's business? How does that all? So there's a basically it's commercial real estate holdings. So Class B properties in, in Burlington, um, every anywhere between Burloak uh, and Guelph Line, um, two three stories. Although we do have a five story building, but majority of our portfolio is uh, that small um, second third floor style. Um, Class B, which brings in um, tenants like uh, law firms, uh, accountants, things like that. Um, actually fortunate to have tenants like that during a time like this because they operate. Okay, so just to clarify then, if I'm going along the QEW through Burlington, if I'm looking at like maybe the service roads on either side of the highway, it's some of the buildings that I would kind of see along the service roads or yes. off some of those roads off the service roads, kind of close to the QEW? Yeah, between Walker's Line and Guelph Line, there's three buildings that have highway exposure. Um, and then the one on the corner of Guelph Line and Harvester, which you can see that has a TD uh, logo on yeah, it. Yeah, um, That's another one of ours. Sorry, SEMA logo on it. And then, um, and then a couple more on Harvester. And then the yellow buildings just near, Bur uh, sorry, the red glass buildings near Burloak. Uh, just past the uh, the major some good real estate to hold, Holy man. Sweet. When did when did your family end up buying? Like when when did they start buying up those types of properties? Two thousand and one. So my father uh, started investing in real estate. He actually you'll love this story. So a creation handshake. Somebody gave my father, a very close friend of his, a half a million dollars on a handshake, no contract, 
Nothing. And the threat of his life if he yeah, didn't get a bag. Yeah. What kind of handshake was that? How, st- no, how strong was that handshake? Um, yeah, the very close friends, been friends um, for 30 plus years. And this gentleman helped my father out. Uh, he bought a piece of land in uh, Beamsville and turned it around for 300 grand six months later. Bought a plaza, did the same. And then now um, he got, he just came out of nowhere as a, an investor and bought a, be- a building from Rudy Reimer. Um, and then lo and behold, we, we had a good relationship with him and then Rudy started selling more buildings to us and then we got, uh, so your dad went right into the Burlington area right away. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And sorry, before that, was your dad into real estate at all? This, oh, this was, was his entrance into real estate. Yeah. He was a consulting engineer. He had his own school at one point in time and he was training Stelco and DeFasco engineers. And so why the, okay. So why the transition for him into real estate? Just because he had access to money, he was like, okay, I'm going to yeah, do something here. He understands multiplication. That's why like, he looked at it as what, what's going to be my return on investment. And that's what he, uh, he really took a chance on that. And, um, and then once he got one, that was it. He wanted, it was like Monopoly after that. He wanted to acquire as much as he could. And uh, we had a, a guy who wanted to sell. We wanted to buy. Uh, acquired, I think, five buildings from Reimer and then a few from In what Sun period Life. did he acquire five buildings? Uh, between 2001 and 2010, I believe. A, a lot of vendor take back kind of stuff. Like, how's he qualifying for this kind of kind of thing? Was we're, we're at that level on these commercial properties? Are people holding back some of the value of the property so he can buy it? No, I don't. He was able to get financing. We were able to get financing. Yeah, like very strong relationships with banks. That's where CIBC came into play. It was where um, we had a gentleman out of Stony Creek named Mario really um, worked with us, understood how he did things, and then. Uh, you know, loan to debt value is an important thing for them. He started doing that. Um, he started making sure that those numbers are correct. And then um, running a business like an immigrant, you know, where my parents have a place uh, north in Collingwood and they argue with Bell Canada over $25 on the, on the bill. Right. So, but I that's, can res- I can respect that. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I just, I literally just got off the phone with our father who called our aunt in Australia. And I guess he didn't use one of those phone cards that he kind of uses. He got, he just got a bill. I think he said he talked for 20 minutes for $350. Nick, you can't even understand the, the conversation that I just had with him. Freaking out. So now he has some phone card because he said, that's never going to happen to me in my life. I've never been so ripped off. He's just livid over this thing. Yeah, and that's the, you know, the being, coming to this country, not speaking a language, having to go to school and work at the same time and then have kids and pay for a house. The stories that you hear those stories and try to figure out how you would do that. So he bought, okay, so five buildings. And then did you say, then he starts acquiring more buildings from, T, did you say TD? Sun Life. Oh, sorry, Sun Life. So what, Sun Life owns some property in there? Yeah, they own some. Is he just cold calling on these on these guys? No, um, well, we have a very strong uh, relationship with our real estate agent who brings the deals to us. Why so they a st- commercial guy who knows that area really well. That he If something's happening in Burlington, he knows. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, he was bringing deals to us. And then, um, you know, Rudy liked to work with my dad because there was no BS. And it was like, let's get it done as fast as possible, not drag it out. Where sometimes in commercial real estate, it could go six to eight months. And if you're looking to get out of the business and retire, you don't want that. So um, that was the one thing that my father, when he started investing, was he was very aggressive. But he was also no BS, like 30 minutes, you can get a deal done. And let's get the paperwork done and let's go. What was the most important thing to him than just clearly looking at the numbers? What did the income generate on this thing? What are the expenses? I'm deciding yes or no. Well, there's when I looked at that from him and I talked to him about that, there's, I asked him, he says, oh, I do everything on gut, but 
we don't, no one does anything on gut. It's what those inputs are. So what are you looking at those inputs? And so he's, he's looking at uh, a couple of things. If you're, the larger you get, you want to be able to control the rent in that area. So you want to buy out the buildings that are, um, let's say doing $9 a square foot and you want to do $12 a square foot. You do that, you do some leasehold improvements and you get it up and then you have a little bit more control in the market, especially in that area. Um, the other thing was that he was tired of real estate agents moving people from place to place because that's how they make their money. So he said, why not move them from one place to another place? Why not move them within my places? So those were the kind of thoughts that he had early on in it. Um, and then once he got one underneath his belt, when we realized the other thing that we did, which is a smart, smart decision, was uh, start your own contracting company. So now you get three or four buildings. You have a contracting company that does all the leasehold improvements to those buildings. And, um, you know, basically you're paying that business to do it, but you do that fast. So instead of having to wait for a contractor that has to line up an electrician and a drywall and all those types of things, we have those guys on staff. And, and you can keep those guys busy enough just because of the amount of properties that you have. And now, now. with 11 buildings, yeah, it's a team of five. And it, those guys are constantly working because there's always something. I mean, whether you, there's a work order that's open that you need to go and, uh, and fix a leaky sink or, you know, we're doing a bunch of bathroom renovations. Um, these are the times right now to do a little bit of those leasehold improvements that are intrusive because no one's in the buildings. And if they are in the buildings, there's still other places to do. So we've been doing some bathroom renovations, carpets. Okay, so yeah, so just talk to us, get, paint us the picture. So when you say no one's in the buildings, in these properties, this is a mix of, you were saying lawyer, some of these some of these guys are in the buildings, but at a high level, just describe to us what you're seeing from the tenants. What percentage are not in the buildings? What are the types of people that are in the buildings? Can you just paint the overall picture? Yeah, and I find, you know, the, the older style, I, I call them old school businesses, but like a law firm, for example, would be operating in the office and relatively close to full, um, Co full, full team, normal capacity, almost. full normal capacity. So, but I would say that our buildings are 25 to 50%, depending on the, what types are in the buildings, but very low. Um, so wait a second, 25% occupied. Yeah. Well, the, no, no. I mean, were people coming to work in terms of yeah, okay, so sorry, they're, they're, you still have leases on these places. And yeah, stuff, yeah, no, no. 25% of people are actually using the space. Yeah, using the space. It's very, you get the ones that are not afraid to come in and the ones that are not able to work from home, and, but the ones that, uh, like, there's an example, one of the tenants is the Chicken Farmers of Ontario. They're 100% working from home and they have, I think, 9,000 square feet. Huh. So uh, once in a while you see five, six people in the office. Um, a lot of them are using it to go to the office for mental health. To, working, to get out. Yeah, working from home is a grind. That's, or, the biggest, that's the biggest thing I'm honestly scared of for most people, that the mental health of being locked up at home for months and months at end, and I know none of us are locked up, so maybe I'm using a term that's a little bit too aggressive, but I guess what I'm saying is that there's no social interaction. You're kind of doing the same Groundhog Day type routine over and over. I think going to the office offers, as crazy as this sounds, some mental health. We've had, we, we've had half about half our team since has come overtly said to us please don't make me work from home mm -hmm. full time they 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 like some flexibility and we have some kind of work from home days and options and stuff like that but but it's it's i haven't no i can't say everyone's come out you know and said it overtly most people have like seemed to agree but there's a i'd say at least half the team has said i do not want to work from home full time for exactly that reason well business owners are starting to become tired of the lack of productivity. Um, 
I mean, in the summertime. Why do you say that? Is that just something you're kind of feeling or no, are you hearing it? Many, many of them are saying that the struggle is, is that um, people go missing throughout the course of the day. And that may be, you know, they're doing something for mental health. They may be doing the dishes. There's all different types going of things. Going for a walk just to get out of the house that you can't even blame them for, of course, right? We all need that. Um, but that's stuff that doesn't happen when you're in the office, unless you're going for lunch or whatever. Um, and so if you're a business that's not measuring productivity, um, it's hard for you to enforce that. But the other thing is that they also have to, with healthy safety committees and businesses and those types of things, they have to kind of do what the the tent, what the uh, employees are sort of pushing for. But when I you see a sunny day on a Friday, the, the first thing I think of when I see all the people outside is you know who's working. This is working from home, and that's the hard what part the about heck working is from home. Happen to our economy, man. Well, it's not, it's not even from the work from home thing. There's just well, everything no one, combined. Everything yeah. combined. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a but I'm, I'm curious, just to circle back to something for a second, because you said right now, you know, it's a good time to do some leasehold improvements, which makes sense, right? Because the buildings aren't as occupied, but it's almost counterintuitive because some people wouldn't look at things that way. There's some building owners that I, my guess is would look at things and say, well, I don't know what's going to happen right now with these leases. There's people aren't using the property. The last thing I'm going to do is take some money and invest it into the building. But you guys are taking the opposite approach. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think some of it is work that needed to get done, but it's a lot easier to get done. Some of it is also, uh, we feel the obligation to our team to not lay people off and to keep them busy. So in order to keep them busy, we can do that. Now, when you do a leasehold improvement, like when we're the way we're doing it, nothing is ever at full cost because, you know, you're buying as a contractor. So as with the point to mark up, we don't mark up. Um, you know, so our improvements are done less expensive, but yeah, we want to keep people busy when we want to do that. And the one trend that we're seeing a lot of is, uh, large downsizes. So 10,000 square feet going to 5,000 square feet because part of their organization is going to be working from home, but they still need collaboration space. So you're seeing that because this is the stuff we read about in the media. You're actually seeing it on the streets. I'm seeing it a lot. I'm seeing a lot of tenants returning space or, um, in a lot of the leasehold improvements that we're doing to sign new leases is, uh, open space. Um, mm -hmm. so a little bit more collaboration, a lot more airflow, stuff like that, that people are uh, thinking a lot more about, but, um, we're expecting to see probably a lot more 2000 square foot, uh, spaces. We also have a Regis like environment, um, which is in the exposures right on the, the South service road and on the QEW. Um, yeah, where is that? So sorry, which building is that? 3310. Yeah, 3310. How'd you know that? Because that's where our office used to be. You're 3310? Yeah. You own 3310? 3310. When did you guys when own When did you own that? Uh, five, six years ago. Oh, so we were out of yeah, there. We, we just, were out that of there, was, but... That's where Rockstar, we operated out of the second floor. They were running like an yeah, executive that's, suite. That's yeah. exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. With you you Jeff, have that now? Jeff Lay was your... Was not, his name Jeff? not at the time, oh. no, because it, that was it. Was actually we were subleasing off someone that was running it like that. They it was called the coffee office, like at that time, and we were subleasing a few offices. It had like a sandwich that, bar at the front. Yeah, that's well, all that space is going to get used eventually. Oh, yeah, wow. that, guy did, so that guy, the, the, the coffee house ended up getting. They weren't paying their rent. We were paying to them, and then that's where we got in a little bit. They of locked the doors the on guard. us. They locked the doors on <laughs> us because they weren't paying their rent. We were subleasing. Yeah, we had to get we we were renting out about four of their bigger by offices time, by the yeah. end. At the beginning, we had two tiny offices, but at the end, we were we were their biggest guys in there. And uh, there was a security guard in there, and there was, there was literally chains on the door. 
and the, the one part of the door on the other side where the security guard was would open and uh, they were saying, no, you can't get in. And we we're like, no, we pay our rent, all our stuff to operate our businesses in there. You have to let us in. We can't run our business. And we, we kind of just put ourselves into the office. We got in there. We started throwing everything into the hallway. You know, the second floor of 3310? Yeah, yeah. We started throwing everything in the hallway. They called the police on us. The police showed up no, for, <laughs> because the security guard said these guys are stealing. And we're like, no, we, Nick had to tell the police, we're not stealing. That's our stuff. We pay rent. They're stealing from us. And the police, remember the police were they just looking around. They didn't do. even know what to do. They needed wow. a court order to do anything. So yeah. I'm just like, no. So we had a moving truck there. We yeah. had a, there was about, we, rented we one called a few guys on the team to their credit. These guys, they were, they were great. They just jumped on, but they're like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. We got a Penske truck. And within that day, we were moved. We actually, no. We moved to, uh, to storage unit. We moved everything to storage you know, unit. third line in Dundas, the yeah. public storage. We moved Rockstar into a storage unit. <laughs> and we operated out of a storage unit for like three months while we were looking for our previous office at your, here at your Fogger south of the QEW and we told everybody who would call us at that time we said hey Rockstar has a special service we you don't come to us we go to you so anyone who wanted to meet with us or pick up a check or anything because we had no office so we were li- we were literally operating with a fax machine plugged into a wall somewhere to we accept- did we, we, we ended up getting one small back office there because they were making an agreement with the landlord because we needed an office for RICO purposes that's so let's right. not yeah, get ourselves yeah, in yeah, trouble here right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had that empty room so, yeah. which was basically a fax yeah, machine yeah it was two tiny somebody- desks and a fax machine on the floor that and, was it and two people on our team just sat in yeah. that office watching that fax machine all day and my way back I'm going to take a picture of the office for you oh my gosh it's- that's a flashback man but that's so people I've had people come to me and say a, um, oh, like because we were advertising for that, and you get the odd. Uh, we've had a, quite a few people actually come to us and say, "I'm just tired of being in the house. I want to rent the space. I want to, I want to dress business cash. You know that I need that mind change when I get home to get out of my um, quote unquote uniform. Um, so then I'm now I'm in my my casual clothes. I feel more comfortable. I feel like that separation of a day. And if you're working from home, it's hard to get that. So before we get to some of the the negotiation or relationships with some of the tenants, you said two thousand square feet too, and you're men, you're mentioning two thousand square feet because you think some offices will just need about two thousand square feet instead of five or six or seven, so they have some location to go to and do meetings and stuff. Yes, but but they don't need more than that. If you're if you're traditional outboard bound business um, where you're going out, I we see a lot of that downsizing. If you're a business where you're bringing people in. You're either staying the same or maybe asking for more space. But the trend right now we're seeing is smaller space, more collaborative environments, um, some office space, but it's more for people to come into and uh, work together if they're working in groups. Software teams, you're seeing development um, groups still staying together because there's an element of collaboration that needs to be in person together yeah similar to what we have here because these guys want to come in because they're like you know they're they're just it's so much easier for them to get stuff done because it's an open collaborative environment they're just like hey who's got this can we do this it's just they can move and get their own stuff done and they feel like they're accomplishing more at a different pace versus when you're in a virtual world in isolation you're trying to via chat or Slack or whoever, whatever people use to try to reach out to people and then they don't get back to you for a half hour and you, you kind of like have to stop and go a lot of the time. Well, and after an hour, Zoom is really difficult. Like oh. it, it starts to get really hard after an hour. And that's what, um, if you're doing that all day, like my sister is, uh, she's a VP at the chiropractic college and she does quite a lot of hours on Zoom. It's grueling. Oh yeah. It's when, when we were, I've, I've shared this before. When we were, 
we jumped into kind of virtual mode very quickly because all, with all the investors we work with, we had to kind of support them. And with everything changing in late March, early April, we were on Zoom a lot with mm-hmm. preparing for things. Then we were hosting different webinars and meetings and stuff for the investors. And by the end of April, I, both of us, but I told Tom, like, I'm losing it. Like this Zoom thing, I, w- I was going home after too much time staring at the computer all day, noticeably more irritated and like just my my emotions were screwed up like it just and i was like this is not healthy for me and i'm part of some groups now they're like hey we got to do a this virtual meeting now and we're gonna do you know a three they, they want to do a four hour virtual meeting like next month i was like guys like i'm out you know i appreciate it i i'm not trying to be a jerk but i just i just know for my well-being that type of stuff does not fly we're getting invited to some zoom christmas parties I don't yeah. like screw. I'm not attending. Yeah. I'm not attending any Zoom Christmas party. You know, I, but I've seen ones that have been very creative, like uh, a wine testing, uh, wine tasting. So they, everyone drops off a small sets of wines for the people, and then you all sit on a, a Zoom call and someone talks about it. So at least the people are trying. Yeah, that kind but of thing. That kind if, of thing I can see, but that to me is more between friends. I don't want to sit through like some corporate kind of thing like oh, that. If you, especially if you do that all day, I think that's tough. I mean, we didn't do. What we did was we basically, for any of our employees, we tried to figure out, um, well, at, the, at least at the fitness club, we gave out gift cards. And we just said, what's the amount that we spend per employee? Let's We gave them all Amazon gift cards. Um, oh, that's cool. So at least you give them something. Because, you know, at that place with the way it opens and closes and the, when the government tells you to shut down, you shut down. The fear in those people's eyes. Okay, yeah, so, so that's one of your tenants? That's, that's one what? of the, we. Well, they own it. You own that. We That's own the, that. Okay. So we describe that. that business and what you're going through. That business is a... Can I get a free membership? Just let's get down to business here. Sure. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you got to drive from Oakville all the way to Burlington. So the name of the place is Cedar Springs Health Racket and Sports Club. Um, it's actually was... It's got some interesting roots. It was originally uh, purchased and built by Vic Mancini, who is a mob boss. There is a picture because uh, it used to be a nightclub in there. And it was like a a private club and uh, there's a picture of him and Dominic Papalia having drinks. Is at that another mob guy? Another big time Hamilton. I'm from Hamilton originally. So these Hamilton mobsters names are, you hear them throughout the community all the time. Right. So uh started like that. Then it was owned by a councilman named Jack Dennison. Um, and then I think Jack after a while just ran out of energy to run the place. Um, and so it just got to the point where, we bought that. My dad bought the facility knowing what the land was worth and uh, got it was one of our strategies really from all of our acquisitions is to find buildings that are fixer uppers. So kind of but not flip. You know, when you see those flipping shows, it's more try to buy low, invest some money into it and then change the rent and all that. So we tried that with the fitness club. And that's a it was an interesting thing because my father just said, okay, I'm going to renovate it and people are going to come, but it doesn't work like that. It's about in Burlington, there's 15, 20 different major players for fitness. You've got like a Movati that moved in. You've got two LA fitnesses. You've got two good lives. These are massive facilities. Take five, 6,000 members each. Um, and when I got in there, the first thing I thought of was, well, Hey, I'm leaving for family. family was on the first thing on my mind. And I thought number one demographic in Burlington is families. How do we capitalize on that? And then you'll love this is that I was sitting at the table. Uh, we had a bunch of friends over and you know, at the end of the night when you've had drinks, it ends up boys at one table, girls at the other table. And I heard all these young mothers talk about, I wish I had time to do this. I wish I had time to work out. I, every time I work out, they drop my kid off in front of an iPad. 
lunches, making lunches for the kids for school every day is a grind and stuff like that. And so I thought major demographic is in Burlington. If I can capitalize as families in Burlington, if I can figure out a way to put solid programming in, we might have something successful here. So we ended up doing lots of after school programs and you're buying a family membership. So now when you come into the facility, there's uh, it's a 200,000 square feet, 12 uh, racquetball, sorry, 12 uh, squash courts, 12 tennis courts, uh, indoor water slide, outdoor water slides. Like it's it's a it's living what their model used to be before we took over was um, living the resort life in Burlington. We changed it to the country club for everyone, and um, we just basically said let's go after families. So I decided I wanted to do some programming around. After school, you come in five five thirty, drop your kids off in organized soccer, dance, karate, uh, tennis, swimming, whatever that may be. You either can sit there and watch. It's a fully licensed facility, so you can go have a drink or go upstairs and work out. So we encourage anyone that's coming in. Hey, you know what? Anytime I see someone who's saying, oh, "I'm watching my son play tennis" or "I'm watching my daughter play tennis," no, no, they're on their phones, so they're not really engaged engaged they may look up from time to time but the full hour they're not doing that so we encourage them to take out these types of memberships go get a workout and even if you get 30 minutes and you watch your child for 30 minutes you get a workout in for 30 minutes before you know it you're stuck there for two hours well i've got a restaurant so we built this programming all around that and uh you know it was 1200 members when i started and we're at 2000 since since covid started we lost 100 people it's oh, a nice. Wow. I'm just Good looking at you. it online here. Good I'm looking at the, guys, the thing. It's a very nice facility. It, it, yeah. Wait a second. Is this the facility that has the pool? Yes. Whoa, whoa, time out. Okay, Nick doesn't know. I don't know if Nick knows this. When you left NetSuite and went into this business, one of the first pictures I remember of Bradrick over here <laughs> was there's this image. I don't know. I don't know if it was a video or a picture. It was a video or a picture. I can't remember. But he's in the pool. I guess this was like a senior's class aqua in the fit. water, like aqua fitness. Yes. And Nick, there's like maybe there's like 10 or 12 seniors in this pool doing the aqua fitness the kind you see at all inclusive resorts where everyone's doing you know touch your shoulders put your arms up and right in the middle is bradrick he's sitting in the middle with this big smile on his face participating in this seniors uh, <laughs> aqua aerobics class or whatever and that's when i remember thinking oh i guess he left that's we and what's he doing now what is, what is he up to now and you were doing that so that you could learn the classes right? yeah so i have no experience in running a facility and um, you know, you can go online and read the benefits of Aquafit, but I'm, I just kind of jumped in and a lot of the things I just did. So I wanted to understand when I'm, if I'm trying to sell a membership to someone and they ask you about Aquafit, well, you gotta be able to talk about it. So I had never done it before. I'd never done Zuma. I'd never done a bunch of these classes that we offer. And the only way I figured I could learn about it was to actually do it. Yeah, so, so yeah, there, and then I challenged one of, uh, who's she's now the general manager. I challenged her to a Zumba battle and there was, but you know what was funny is that when I, you know, being the president of the facility, when people saw that it was like paparazzi, the morale of the facility was, yeah, totally. Well, you're leading. You're leading from underneath at that point, right? Nick, I think that's something you've said recently. Like you're leading by example in that kind of case. And it was they. They just people got a kick out of it, and they're taking pictures of me. And when I was in the Zumba class, they made me stand right in the middle of the class, and they were all. It's Zumba's very. So, if you're not engaged mentally in Zumba, you miss the steps and it falls apart. So when people are heckling you and and you know 
or that are cheering you on. As soon as you look away, forget it. You're on to the next step. You're on to the next so step. So you're doing. So you left. You're really doing two things. You're helping out the father and the family business, managing this portfolio of commercial real estate in Burlington. But then you're also running this facility, this business in one of your properties. Yeah, I'm running so both. you're doing two hats at that point. I just want to ask you over the last six months in the Racket Club, um, what have you, what has it been like? Because you were closed, <laughs> then what you opened, and then you had to probably change stuff inside, and now you're, I guess, I guess you're being closed again. Like, is that the sequence? Yeah, the 26th, we are going to be closed. Although I don't know, because it's, there's so much that happens in that facility. One, it's a nightmare from a COVID standpoint because... Uh, tennis has its own rules. Squash has its own rules. Swimming has its own rules. Fitness has its own rules. So uh, banquet halls and everything have their own rules. So this is, it, it's, you really have to, when they send out that 160 page document, almost all of it applies to that business. Holy and shit. if you're, you know, then you have to have relationships. So we have good relationships with the MPP and the mayor and all those types of people. And um, I, you know me very well. I'm a very analytical person. So I had someone come through the facility that was, um, asymptomatic. We found out what was going on and they threatened to close us. And I said that they went to play tennis and there's no spread. I'm given every single person in the, in that who plays tennis, 7,200 square feet. So you guys are in real estate, selling real estate, try to sell a 7,200 square foot condo. I can put four people in those, uh, each one of those courts. And the rules are very simple. Most people will either wear a glove on their serving hand or they write their name on the ball and then the balls that they have their names on, they serve and the rules are kind of, you know, designed like that, but you can still play and a 35 foot ceiling and 7,200 square feet per court. Those are safe environments. What you have to do after that is you have to really think about the flow of the build business and how that's working. And then uh, have a sanitation team go through and make sure all the touch points are done. Uh, the other thing I got that I got very lucky in March, I paid a little bit more than I should have, but I bought an electrostatic sprayer. Um, is that one of those things that looks like a vacuum, but it's spraying out like a mist or whatever that you yeah. put over your shoulder? Electrically charged disinfectant material that then clings to surfaces and wraps itself in crevices and everything like that. And so we bought one of those because it was going to be somewhere between eight to 12 cents a square foot and at 200,000 square feet. That's a, a major cost. We bought the machine and we've been doing those types of things. So, so now you can just walk through and like spray door handles and do all that stuff. Is that what that major does? touch points? Yeah. You want to do that, okay. especially like weights. Um, you know, any of the gym equipment, stuff like that. Um, but it's been really, I've been thankful that the members that come into that place all care about the facility and all want to remain open. So it's been a community approach to sanitization, wearing masks. Like we force you to wear a mask on a treadmill. That's a punishing thing to do, but yeah. it's a necessary thing to do from our business standpoint. Maybe we're going to create all these like uh, Uber athletes, because if you can run on a treadmill with a mask on, then when you go to running again without a mask on, your lung capacity is just going to be so good. You're like, what's all this oxygen? Well, and so as of yesterday, I've had nothing but high performance athletes calling us saying, can we rent out the basketball area? Um, I have a guy from the Chicago Bulls that wants to rent out the basketball gym and Chicago will pay for it because they're allowed to Wait, do, why based on, based why on is those he on the Chicago. Is he injured right now? No, he's uh, sorry. He was just drafted by the Chicago Bulls oh, and, he needs okay. to, and he needs to train. Yeah. And they're allowed. My understanding is from the COVID rules. If you're a high performance athlete, 
Which I am, so apparently I'm allowed to train too. Well, am I? I must be low <laughs> so, performance. I, I get an well, I guess, but, but we talked about your slap shot. The slap, so. Obviously, on the slap shot, I'm high performance. Yeah, but my hockey days, I'm retired. So, yeah. but the, yeah, the pro, the, if you're, you know, if you're at that level, you're able to continue to training. Yeah, um, and I think it's, I think the the lowest is NCAA is the. That's that, yeah, that's how they look at it. So, um, I mean, I have Olympic athletes that are training swimming. We did, we we sold out all of our swim time to swim groups that train elite athletes. Uh, one came to us, made a phone call to a couple others, and next thing you so know, so is, is that revenue going to be able to offset any loss? Or, like, are you is that particular business going to survive? I guess is what I'm asking. Yes, we 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 were going to make a full recovery just from tennis um, by the end of January because people were paying more for private times or something, and just. There's a court people want people wanted something to do. Yeah, between that and pickleball, people are looking for something healthy and social. Pickleball is um, a very it's a something that's re- exploding in retirement communities. It really is exploding. It's I heard exploding about it about everywhere. five six years ago. The first time I, I heard about it from uh, do you remember Bill at Element? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was him and his wife. They used to go they uh, some uh, in Florida when they would go down there in the winters. And he, I'm like, what the hell is pickleball, Bill? But yeah, it was. He said it's huge. The key to that business of surviving is being nimble. So in the summertime, uh, he, I, you should get a chat with my general manager where I called her and said, on uh, June the 1st, I said, you're coming back to work and we're starting camps, uh, daycare, like, sorry, uh, child camps um, for the summer. Uh, I think it was uh, June 28th or something like that. She normally does three months. Said, yeah, and I said, you got to get that done in three weeks. And I don't want to hear anything outside of your mouth other than summer camps. Somehow she performed a miracle. We had 140 kids uh, a week um, because you can't switch. Now that with that COVID, you couldn't, with the rules, you couldn't say, so Tom's kids can come today, but Nick's kids come tomorrow. No, you buy the week or you don't come. That's how it worked. So the logistics of that was a lot easier, but keeping the kids apart was very difficult. So that's where the 12 squash courts came into play. Each squash court became a room of nine children and... People in the parking lot were saying, I didn't even know you were there. Well, when you're rotating around, you're keeping them away from each other. Um, my general manager came up with an amazing flow. Um, you know, Good for you guys, man. That is that is what we want to hear. Like That is adapting in real time. That's being resilient and resourceful and what it's all about. Like yeah. That's that's awesome, man. It was camps, swimming, uh, and then uh, outdoor pickleball saved us um, in the summertime. Enough to break even. Then the wage subsidy came in, which was... Camps are ridiculously expensive from a payroll standpoint because you've got you have ratios that you have to maintain and they're very strict with uh, with with COVID. You couldn't. We had to have hired two kids. All they did today was all they did was handle food. That's it. So they one set of people handled the food and ran it ran it from place to place. Um, sanitization, all that kind of stuff. But I was I found that the students in the summertime were very eager to work, and the ones that were there. You know, they realized how tough it was to get a job, and they worked like like that. So I was very thankful for the students that I had. But you're right, changing on a dime, because then now we go into September, camps are gone. My major revenue stream is gone. I turned on membership. I didn't charge a single member, like the entire membership. If you came in the summertime, you paid a summertime membership fee, and that was it. And then when we got into September, now I've got tennis coming indoors. Well, one of the sports that you could do this summer was tennis ride your bike and golf. Those were the three major things that you could do this summer. So there was an influx of outdoor courts. I was fortunate enough to have some people in the outdoor courts who I incented to bring members in, kind of like sales guys. Hey, you're going out there and you're playing tennis. 
um, come on in. Well, it's, it's dual purpose. They get, I get a membership out of it. They're going to get private lessons out of it or, or a camp or a ladder or whatever they're, they're setting up inside the club. So we did that. And then we got uh, squash going and then we, but we had pickleball players from the summertime. So we had to displace basketball with pickleball and pickleball is doing eight to 12 hours a day. Yeah. So what are you seeing now then with, with the government announcements now, but you shut down what's as, as that type of business owner, what's going through your head? Uh, I'm praying if it's 30 days, it's not that big of a deal, but I'm, what do you think the odds are that it's really 30 days? None. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I think that this is, I, I feel the seminaries of in March. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, everyone I've spoken to is like, yeah, right. This is bullshit. Yeah. It's not going to be this four weeks. Well, the two week, <laughs> the two week flattening the curve after March break really turned into something other than two weeks fat flattening the curve. Well, I, and I think that, I mean, there's a big difference there than it is now is that people just said F and I'm going to Aruba there's no Corona in Aruba. Like I think people were not as educated about it as they are now. Although I know somebody went to Turks and Caicos. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I was looking at Turks the other day cause you just need a, a negative test to get there. Yeah. Some islands uh, make you quarantine, but I'm just like, hmm, just a negative test. That seems pretty appealing to me to go to Turks right now. So yeah. So the, you're, you're thinking it could be longer than 30 days. All right. My so. major concern is my employees. I mean, mm. I the custodian staff and they're all those are all good people and the ones that I, I had to turn over that staff three times this year first time they I had uh, immigrants quit on me because they wanted to collect the CERB and get paid uh, cash at the same time and we wouldn't offer that they quit so now I've got to find someone who wants to work in a health club during COVID time period to clean. And how did you, you advertise for that and you found people? We found some people and then we were lucky that some people refer a friend or somebody else who was looking for work. And then, um, I mean, the key thing there for that staff is to treat them and make them feel important. And I encourage the members to say, hey, look, these guys are cleaning the surfaces for you. When you see one, just say thank you. Just make them feel good about what they're doing. And then, I mean, you have to pay a little bit differently. Um, you can't pay minimum wage for those positions. Same with front desk. Um, but we had the same thing. Front desk people pulling out, pulling the, their their parents are pulling kids out saying, you're in the front line, uh-uh, you're not working. So this, I had three um, front desk staffs this year. And that, I mean, that takes a lot of time. It takes six weeks just to bring somebody in. And if that person comes in, you got to train them. Yeah, get them up and running. It, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so, so I'm super happy with my staff, but I don't want to lose any of them. Jeez. What about, uh, what about some of your other buildings with tenants? Anything that you can share with that? Are people being, is the, is the relationship between being a commercial landlord and the tenant, what's that looking like right now? Much better now that they're, the first program uh, that went out to landlords, we didn't even qualify for it because we had only a small percentage of the um, portfolio was customer facing. We had like a, a hair club for men as an example. They're not taking patients during that time period. But if that's the only tenant in your building, your revenue doesn't qualify for that, whatever that wage, sorry, that whatever the rent relief program was back then. That worked really well for if you're a mall or those types of things where, hey, you're closed and all the things inside it are closed. But so that created lots of battles because Doug Ford kept saying greedy landlords. Well, guess what? That's what people hear and that's what they call you. And we ended up doing a lot of things. Yeah, that sucks, man. That, 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 that was very yeah. difficult. Yes. Um, cause the program wasn't designed for us and we couldn't take advantage of it. And everyone just said, well, we're not doing it. Well, um, what we ended up doing behind the scenes was anybody that was really in that type of business. We put up either a deferment plan or, um, you know, if they were in really bad situation, we ended up putting like tacking on three months to the end of their lease, getting creative 
but always worried about the relationship with that tenant, right? And so we did that. And I mean, deferrals are really scary because if they're, you don't know if you're going to get that money back or not. But in this point in time, your argument is empty space versus cash flow. So um, we kind of took the cash flow approach and we have quite a few tenants that took advantage of that. I've all been thankful and 90% are paying back now. But who knows what this, the, the conversation might have to go again. Jesus. And I think it will. I, I think, think it, will. it will too. I, I can't see how it does it. Not just because of this lockdown, just because of the, the just the, the domino effect that's bound to happen because of what's led to this point. Because a lot of people were, you know, could hold on for a period of time and they were looking at the, the later parts of this year to be able to make make it up and make a difference. Yeah. Especially, especially if you look at retail, like how many retail stores and restaurants and stuff are like, okay, it's, you know, I've held on, I've held on, I've held on. But they're like, if we can get to the end of the year when things open, it'll be better. Yeah. And then in the like, Toronto and Peel, specifically when they shut down in October, they open up again for two weeks, they shut down for another month. Now they're shut down for another month. These guys have been shut down for six months of the year. How can not just them, how can almost any business survive if you have to shut down for 50% of the year? And you're taking Christmas away, the biggest for most retailers. Yeah. You take that away from them because everyone's going to Amazon. I mean, now you're putting cash in the big people's hands and not in the... Yeah. It's so, like it's, the, so it's going like to get worse. The, it's like the middle class divide that we talk about just in this country be between incomes and property prices. We talk about it a lot from that level. But then at the business level, we're rewarding all the big box stores to be open. And all the little guys that can't, little guys and girls that can't be open, we're saying stay shut. And, you know, I'm not saying that I have the right answer for this, but I'm, but, but the division of that, like allowing the big box stores to stay open. Look, I was at the LCBO the other day and it's, I guess, you know, it's holiday season. I was packed in the vintages aisle there. I couldn't turn left or right. There's people in front of me or behind me. So we, the LCBO, we have packed with people, but then the, the little mom and pop retail store that has a commercial landlord where, that has maybe three people in the store at any given time oh, and can make a lineup outside. We're telling them not to open. But the, but the big Costco stores and the Walmarts were saying, yeah, open and gather. Like, it's, there's no common sense being applied here. Well, we've been joking around, my family, saying that we're going to celebrate Christmas in aisle 17 at Walmart. Yeah, I yeah, saw someone else a, was saying that in Costco. We're all going to Costco. We're yeah. going to celebrate. We should actually do it just yeah. for fun. Just someone, to play, you yeah, know, someone's yeah. going to put a video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, when this episode goes out, it might be around. Yeah, it's going to be after Christmas. On the Christmas. 24th. Okay, so on 24th, when do they close? They'll probably close at like 6 or something on 24th. So at 4 p.m. on the 24th. Here's, yeah, yeah. The, here's the Costco yeah, address for meeting This at. is going to be after. People are going to be listening to this after that date. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, see if, we'll see if any videos come out after. Uh, with people celebrating in the stores. Well, so what do you think? So someone like yourselves and your father, you guys are obviously, like I said, resourceful, resilient. You're going to get through this. Just listening to you talk, it's obvious to me that you're going to get through this. The 2,000 square foot, you might have to reconfigure some of your buildings to, to, to be different, different shapes. What else do you see in the commercial space going forward? Anything that you guys are planning for or... What, what's your biggest concern right now? Just how long this goes? I'm just trying to get in the mind of someone who owns this type of portfolio. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, there's two things. Our, our major concern right now is that uh, my father for the last couple of years has been retired and um, we're concerned about the relationship with our tenants. Like if there's someone hasn't been in front of them. So I'm the new face of that. I want to, I'm going and meeting with tenants or virtually or, you know, whatever I can do, whatever they offer us, we'll do that to develop a relationship, understand what, their problems are and understand that, uh, you know, how things are going to go, but you're seeing either someone who wants to do short term lease. Oh God, sorry. No, no, it's fine. You can edit that out. Uh, my phone call. Uh, you're seeing people either coming to you with short term leases where you're not actually doing anything other than keeping the same rent 
or the long term you're getting ones, but those long term ones are usually large tenants that the cost to move is way different for 10,000 square feet than it is for 1500. Um, our major trend that we're seeing right now and that we're sort of banking on is that the people are going to be downsizing. So we're going to have more tenants over the same space as opposed to large space. Um, Cause and the demand for that area right along the QEW in Burlington between Toronto and Hamilton, you're in some grade a location here. Like this is with, the, with our continued population growth in this area, with all the problems going on in the world, it's still a pretty nice spot to be owning some real estate. Well, and that's the other thing that we've been thinking a lot about. Um, and we've had our real estate agent keeping his ear to the ground on was that people are moving out of Toronto. Um, I have a friend that sold his house in Toronto and bought a house in Guelph for $700,000. That's a palace on two acres of land. And so you're going to see those trends. And what did he have a one bedroom condo in Toronto? Oh, he had a, a house in High Park. He sold, I think. For, oh God. Oh, so yeah, he, he was doing okay. Cash, he was yeah. doing okay. Yeah. yeah. And he'd been there for, I think 15 years. And oh jeez. Walked out, um, bought this major home with cash in his pocket. And, uh, and it's like, it, so he's living a different lifestyle because he's going to work from home. So you're going to see, we're seeing the trends of people moving to our community um, but they're going to need office space eventually when they're allowed to, they're going to need to go back and collaborate. I mean, we're naturally human beings. We're natural, uh, that we need socialization. Why does people go? Why do you go for a walk? Why do you have to leave your house? If you're working from home, if you don't need to socialize, that's why do you want to ever go, go have a drink with someone or a coffee with somebody? Yeah. You, you want that social. In fact, here, here at Rockstar, Nick and I talked early that when everybody was saying, oh, everyone's going from work from home and Twitter announced everyone's permanently work from home and whoever else, we actually thought it's a competitive advantage to us to bring the team back safely. We actually have a permanent work from home day now in the middle of the week, Wednesdays for us now is work from home. Hey. But to bring the team back here and work together is actually a competitive advantage because the communication through all the chats, I personally can't keep up with them. Nick does a much better job than me, but to have everybody here in the office, things just happen so much faster. Agreed. I, I mean, you're gonna see a lot of need for that going forward. But I think that because of Burlington, the proximity to downtown Toronto, um, if you're bringing business people I and mean, the real estate's not cheap in Burlington, so you have to bring in a certain, certain type of person that can afford that real estate. Well, those guys are managers, directors, VPs, whatever they may be. Um, they have teams. They're going to need to collaborate with those teams and we're expecting them to come to and need space, not large space, but smaller spaces in the suburbs. Into our old, our old office. Into your old office. Into our old office, 3310. That's part of Rockstar lore right there. I can't believe that. I can't believe you own that building. Uh, That's crazy. I don't think... If you were our landlord before, realize we would have been coming after you for the best rent that we could have ever negotiated with you. And we would have been leveraging my slap shot as part of the negotiation, saying, hey, listen, I won't tee it up on you anymore if you give us a good rent. When you guys were starting, I remember you guys being in that area. Yeah, Yeah, we were right there. And I remember the logo on the building. But I'm pretty sure that we didn't own the building at the time. I, think I, I don't know that because yeah, we were we were at our previous. We've been here now for about almost a year, and we were at our previous office for seven years, yeah. I think. So, yeah. so that would have been eight years ago. So, I think but we just been, missed you by a little bit. Yeah, because the the sandwich shop never ran that spot when we owned it. It was another guy, really good guy named Jeff Lay, um, and he does the office office space. He did that. He was actually smart. He bought all. He rented out all that space had a small office for himself and then rented out all the other spots himself to help pay the rent. Yeah, got it. So he ended up getting free rent out of it. Um, and then he wanted to pivot out of that business and do something else. So he moved downstairs, gave up that spot and, and the tenants to us. Um, so he's still in the building to this day, but he just was tired of doing that. 
You know what's interesting when I'm here, you're talking about it's, it's great that you have some of these tenants. I was just thinking about our own journey in the first five years of Rockstar. You, it, it is difficult to survive as a business because you don't have much on your balance sheet. There's not like this big corporate treasury. So if you get hit with something like COVID in the first, let's call it two to three, four, five years of a business, it is difficult to survive because if you don't have anything, if you don't have a, a, a really big client base that's going to serve you, if you don't have any savings to get through these times, it's those businesses that... I'm most scared for that will come to you and say, Hey, you know, Rob, thanks for all your offers, but it's just, this is beyond us. Like we're just not going to make it. And the businesses that have been around longer with healthier balance sheets, I think that everyone's going to survive and be resilient and kind of get through this. But those are the ones that I'm kind of most concerned because imagine this happened to rockstar really early on and we were paying rent and that kind of thing, you know, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be different it would situation. Be, it'd be for difficult. Sure. Yeah. Right. Well, the Cedar Springs would have been gone. If this happened when we acquired Cedar Springs, we wouldn't. It wasn't making enough money to keep the lights on. At that time, it would have been gone. Four years ago, gone. Yeah, there's nothing we would we would have bulldozed it and used that primo real estate for something else. And there is something to be said, like you know, because the other argument is like, look, if 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 it was a not, it, it wasn't, I guess, profitable. It wasn't the best business when you guys acquired it, anyways. So maybe that business shouldn't have survived based on the way it was being run at that time, anyways. But I just feel like it'd be nice to give it a chance and this heavy, a heavy-handed approach to someplace that might not pose any real risk anywhere to forcing these businesses out of business when they did stand a chance. That's the problem with, with this, right? Because the free market people are going to be like, well, a weak business and this yeah, type of thing, cleans it, 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 it cleans it out, which, and I can understand that. And I mean, we're all against the, the, the constant government money printing that's propping up the, all sorts of assets and kind of just screwing up the whole system. But when it's when it's when the approach is this and this is the cause of it, it's a little bit different. Yeah, well, the constant money printing ultimately hurts the people it's trying to help, and that's what most people don't realize. It just kind of gets frustrating when you see it all. Yeah, I've seen both sides. Like the CERB program was, it was almost impossible to operate the facility like that because people said I could just sit at home for two thousand bucks. So part of me thinks, did the government want to pay people to stay home and stay away from people? Or was that a side effect of a not well thought out plan? I yeah, mean, I think it was a side effect yeah. of a not well thought out plan. Because you know why? Because the way, reason I'll say that is because I think CERB ended up being almost like UBI, but it, it, the way it worked out, it was UBI for the rich. It wasn't really ended up helping them because if you look at the people that got it, a lot of it went to pay rent and it went to the big box, big, big box retailers and all these things. It ended up, although it, flew, it, it flowed through the people that needed it most, it just flowed up. To the to the other people yeah. the, with the way the thing the the program was designed, right? So it ended up so so it further ex, it exasperated the gap between the rich and the poor, and that's why we're seeing it. We saw the explosion of that gap even this year. It's it's increasing faster and faster. Well, we there's a couple of programs like the the new rental program that now goes to the aid of the tenant. Um, so far, we have one or two that have gone through that, and it's much better because if you need help, you're going to get help. Yeah, it's a subsidy directly to the tenant. It should never have gone to the landlord. I don't understand why it did, but that's what they put together. Even when I, I sat on a, I have a friend that works at BDO. I sat on their conference call about the uh, rental subsidy, the first one. Um, and all the landlords that were talking to them when they were asking questions, they had no answers on, on why we should do this. Like explain to me why, if I can get 100% of my rent, why would I do this? So well, I've seen two the two programs. One didn't work for me, but the wage subsidy without it, I don't know how we, we wouldn't have been able to make a recovery. I like think the did. wage su subsidy saved a lot of jobs. I, I I would guess. I have no you know, and I'm I'm not even against the CERB thing. Like like when the government took that approach, they had to do something. And 
I've never seen the government act so quickly in doing something. Like, it was almost shocking, even though it took a few weeks of delays to finally get the money out. I mean, for the government to move that quickly on something was, like, historical, unprecedented. We'll never see it again. I agree. But but then, you know, now, after that initial shock went through, they had the time to come up with better programs, but they extended the ones that weren't well thought out. And I think that's where things kind of started to get a little bit squirrely. What I had to hire. I had to have more people with less revenue. And higher expense. And how do you how do you start a business like that? When we started uh, opening up in in uh, at the end of June, it was basically like a startup. I mean, we were doing tennis and private lessons and things like that. But you know, it was it, that Good was for you to survive, man. Jesus. So I want to ask you, what about the relationship with the banks? Um, any anything you can t- have the banks been good to work with any changes on the banking front <laughs> I know we all hate the banks at all, all times but uh, you, I know you've had good connections with the banks and you had good relationships with the banks anything there that there's there you know like anything we, out of the norm I guess we have an awesome relationship with CIBC um, through the commercial real estate but we're not we were not able to get um, uh, a mortgage for the club because it was classified as fitness insurance. Try oh, to get insurance man. for a fitness club. And those things came due. One's coming due 2021. Uh, the, the mortgage came due in, I believe April. But what, even with, if they look at the financials, cause they're, they just think the risk in that sector is higher because of all this. So they won't. So listen to this. We said we would put half a million dollars in trust to get a mortgage from CIBC. And risk assessment said no. Risk management said no. Well, where's the risk if the cash is put away, ready to go? We just wanted, we wanted to do, and they wouldn't do a deal with us. And we we have uh, eight different mortgages with them. And we couldn't get. This, we have see, really- this is the kind of thing where the banking sector can really affect the economy, because when the auditors get in there and decide, their risk assessment departments decide, oh, it's just blanket fitness is just too risky for us without looking at what someone like you has done to that facility and how you're operating, how many jobs are on there, and they just kind of turn things up and make it tighter. That's ultimately the biggest risk for all Canadians. It's what the banking sector auditors are going to do to us. We were shocked. That strained our relationship with CIBC big time. Because you've always had a great relationship with CIBC. We were just talking about Victor Dodig, who's yes. the we uh, sat and had breakfast CEO. in his office. Yeah, so Ed Dodig is uh, went to St. Martha Mary, our grade school. His brother runs CIBC, so uh, that's that's just like crazy six degree of separation kind of situation. Yeah, but you you sat in Victor's office. We were invited to go to Victor's office because Victor was trying to get in touch with small businesses. Um, Victor's proud Croatian as are we and so wanted to hear my father's flee Croatia don't speak the language work at Ford story and then how he's now he's done a lot of business with CIBC so um you I want to call Victor up and tell him about this risk assessment thing man. <laughs> use your connections we thought about it but it's we kind of we, we'll save that battle for when when it's an, we were able to to renegotiate our mortgage. We, we got covered. So it wasn't like we were left high and dry. Um, so there's times when you use that relationship. I didn't think that that was a good time. Um, but it was, it was funny to watch my dad. Who's a strong character. He's a disc assessment, red, high red. He's already on his next sentence before the first sentence comes out of his mouth. He hasn't heard a word you said, but that's how he is. Um, he's so, Tom. Yeah. So to go in and to go in and so now he is, almost starstruck by Victor Dodig. And I mean, one thing I learned about NetSuite is that any, you're standing in front of a CEO, there's 
a behavior and it's just, just, it's just, you get trained and you get used to it. So I was coaching my dad through it. Um, and then I just basically did like when I used to do, uh, presentations with Jim McGeever, I used to feed him. So this was cues. the CFO of NetSuite. Yeah. Sorry. While, while NetSuite CFO. was going public for a billion dollars. Yeah. I used to feed him. Like, when you do enough presentations, you know, the stories. And I used to give him the cue to tell the story. So I did the exact same thing with my dad saying, okay, Hey dad, how about when you, when you fled Croatia into Austria, tell, you know, talk to Victor about that. Just, I didn't really do much other than was the kind of the mediator in the conversation. Cause my dad would just freeze up because it was an emotional thing. Like you come there, you come from nothing with an empty suitcase. And now you're sitting with the CIBC CEO who's invited you to tell your story. You know, he, all the emotions that went through him that day, it was, he was so proud of himself, but he kind of wouldn't talk. So I got him going that way, but it was years of that kind of experience. It was really neat. And then, uh, cause Victor's just a regular guy. And the, the neat thing about him is that although he's super educated and, and he runs this massive bank, um, he was a teller at CIBC and he still has that mentality where he understands that business from the teller all the way to the top. Um, so it was really, it was, it was neat to see similar people have that experience. And then he was just really interested in the whole immigrant story. Yeah. Awesome, man. Rob, so as you, as as you've gone through this kind of journey, any, anything else today that you want to talk about commercial real estate or about how it was different from the your corporate role to being self-employed? Or anything else that we just didn't cover that you wanted to make sure that you got out there? Because we appreciate you doing this, man. You You did not have to share all this kind of stuff. But I think what you're offering people listening to this, and you're offering it to myself and Nick, is insight into a commercial real estate owner and what they're going through and how they're seeing things. And it's very insightful. Because you read about this stuff in the media. You can read a Financial Post article and stuff. But to hear it directly from you is very... Yeah, well, three quotes doesn't tell the whole story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing that when I think about from a commercial real estate is it's really simple is relationships are important. People like to know that the, the face, when they write the check, they want to see that face in their head when they write the check. So I think relationships are very important. I think, um, and doing good, like doing good, like when you can't, if you can help help. Um, so that, that doing good in the community is very important from the Cedar Springs side of things. Um, we were able to, get 50 turkeys in three days for Thanksgiving. We've got, we're doing all this philanthropy, even though people's purses are tight, we're still getting the best out of people. And I think doing good has been really, that karma has really been important for us. And, but I think the most important thing that's kept us afloat and how we're going to survive is being nimble, being able to make a decision quick, research it, and then implement. And that's not an easy thing to do. I, I change has never been a big issue for me. I, I can, I can be a, you know, a solution consultant to a manager, to a sales guy, to running a fitness club. And uh, as long as I spend time reading and talking and, and educating myself, I, I'm confident enough to go out and do anything. That's what I've learned switching from NetSuite, where it's a corporate thing. You get excellent training. You get excellent people skills. You get excellent relationships. Um, and they invest in you, which is great. But when you're on your own, you have to invest in yourself. So... Um, but, you know, quitting that job and then going and making a success out of a fitness club that I had no clue where I had to jump in the pool and do Aquafit to figure it out. Um, I mean, I think it's being nimble and, and, and kind of thinking it through. And, and if you can make a chance, make a change, you need, but you need the staff to be like that too. And that's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, I have lots of people that are apprehensive to change and they become support when we change. They become comfortable and then they be able to lead. 
So you don't give those people the opportunity to leave, but you give them a chance to help grow, get excited about it, and then offer them the opportunity to leave after they've gotten over their fear of change. So things like that, I think, uh, really kept through. And then the other side of it is, you know, we, we, we joked about the Bell Canada bill. Your expenses are very important. So, um, you know, a couple months ago, we, we saw a profit at the club and we couldn't figure out where the profit came from. And we saw the year over year expense was down, was down. Why? Well, we invested in all of these, all of the PPE and all that stuff early, took that expense early when we were getting the wage subsidy. And now it's good for you. So some decisions like that, but yeah, I mean, being able to change, like when I go back, we're going to have a plan together about how we're going to deal with performance athletes and what staff I need how much co that cost is going to be. And if we're going to turn a profit, we'll do it. Yep, awesome. That's awesome. De dealing with a lot. I think that's who was ringing your phone, by the way. It was, it was uh, another NBA <laughs> yeah. player. Who the, the, Chicago, <laughs> the Chicago Bulls GM. Like, hey, are you going <laughs> to yeah. let, 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 yeah. let this guy yeah. use this facility yeah. or what? I think it was actually Jordan. I, I think th Jordan was calling you to get some of his drafted players who are Canadians in, into your facility. Except he's not with Chicago, but yeah, we'll let you off. No, no, but Chicago <laughs> made me think of Michael Jordan. He's, I know he's the owner of Charlotte. Well, he likes the golf and uh, maybe, he'll, yeah, like, maybe he'll start so golfing So what's the full parents? name of the Cedar Springs and what's the URL? Cedar Springs... Uh, uh, www.cedarspringsclub.com is the website. Um, we're only taking people from Halton, so just to make sure that we're doing our civic duty. Um, and then uh, the rest of it, we don't really have an online presence. Sure, yeah, yeah. But when you're driving down the QEW, when you get into Burlington, if you look around, you're going to see Rob Bradrick there on the side of the road somewhere you, doing something. Can we put an old rock star sign up on 3310? I mean, we're one of the like yeah, the yeah. old tenants Almost there. We, like, should, we should have a yeah. Hall of Fame, maybe we can a hall make of fame some kind of the, facing the, facing the QEW. Donation, yeah. I'll approve it if it has the caricature of you both of you guys. <laughs> I love the caricature. I think that's awesome. Rob, but yeah, if, if you, if I would, I, anybody, any listeners, give a honk uh, if you're uh, between uh, water, uh, sorry, uh, Walker's Line and Guelph Line on the QEW, yeah, give and a you'll honk see and some wave. some guy waving back at and you. And scream yeah. Braderick yeah. as you go down. <laughs> Brado. Brado, you stopped Tom Carrad's a slap shot. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradzis. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Robert Bradrick. I thought it was just fascinating to get the inside scoop of somebody who's working inside a commercial real estate business. And it was fascinating to realize that they now own the comp the sorry, the property that Rockstar used to operate out of in Burlington. Just such a small world. So that was super cool. And listen, if you are listening to this and you want to get involved in some real estate investing yourself, but you're not sure yet, you can come to our free introductory training class. And you can register for that at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. It's about a 90-minute class where we go through all the different strategies we're using today. We stick around for any Q&A that you might have as well. We try to pour everything we can into that class. And you can register for it at www.CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. Thanks again to Robert Braderick. Until next time, your life, your terms.